0: again I was uh, looking through past podcasts and I'm slightly surprised I haven't covered this before I've certainly written about it and um, that you will know from the title is a question that comes up um, reasonably regularly and that is whether you can take great photographs with a smartphone so broadly speaking (laughs) he says not committing himself The answer is yes, but it does depend on the style of photography you are aiming for, your style of photography, and the smartphone you've got. However, I think the smartphone is probably a less critical variable these days because if you're working or using a reasonably new smartphone, say less than five, six years old, and even back then they were pretty good, uh, you should have quite a good camera built in unless you've got some peculiar phone from somewhere. So I guess to answer the key question, can you take great photographs? Well, you have to remember that the smartphone and and basically any camera is just a tool. So once you regard it as a tool, you start looking at who's wielding the tool, who's using the tool, how good is that person? So it does come back to that old adage that I'm sure I've spoken about before, that the most important part of any camera system is the 12 inches behind the viewfinder. In other words, the person who's taking the photographs. So what are the aspects to think of there? Well, you get into the broad photography categories. So composition, you know, having the eye for a photograph, recognising when something is going to happen, recognising where you can get an unusual photograph. And that's something that I do want to talk about because I think smartphone cameras are very good for that. In fact, I'm hoping to set up a, an interview podcast with um, Colin Winter-Seaton, um, who, whose photographs I will mention. He's on Instagram, and I worked with him. at We were observers in Sydney, and he is very, very good at creating amazing photographs just from his smartphone. He's, he's pretty much specialised in the smartphone area, even though he's, he's got other cameras and he does use other cameras, but uh, that's what he tends to use. So hopefully that will be coming along. But the smartphone is a camera, it's it's a tool, so it has certain limitations depending on what camera you have in your smartphone, it will have certain advantages. So the key thing is to really recognise what your smartphone camera is capable of doing and then you running with that and making the most of what you have available. So that really is uh, the bottom line on this. And you may find that you need a bit of experimentation just to play around, and I'll hopefully give you some ideas on what you can do in this podcast. So, let me talk about some types of photography where the smartphone is is very useful. As a couple immediately spring to mind. One of them is street photography, where you're just trying to catch people just doing what they naturally do um, in the street, if you're into that kind of photography. Obviously, a smartphone is very discreet, and there are definitely photographers who specialize in that area who've switched across to smartphones, because walking around with a camera, something like a DSLR or an SLR or um, a mirrorless camera, you're more conspicuous than if you're just using your phone, because if you walk on any street and you will find people looking at their phones, and sometimes they're holding them up or they're... they're They're walking with them, but it's not unusual to see somebody holding a smartphone. So people tend not to take any notice of you, and in that way, you get much better photographs. So that's one area where smartphones have an advantage over uh, more traditional cameras. Now, another one that I really like is getting close to a subject. Now, it's not necessarily macro. I'm thinking more in terms of just getting the camera in really close against something. Let's let's say you um want to shoot just chairs on the street, something like that, you can just put the phone right up against the chair. Or uh, one that springs to mind in, um, this is going to Sydney, Circular Quay, but they have these um, stores for tourists on, on the quay and a lot of them have these sort of glass doors that fold up. So they're made of panels um, that when you slide the door back, the panels kind of all line up. So when the doors open, basically, so that people can walk in. You've got this, um, I don't know what you would call it, an array of panels, if you like, or a, a parallel line of these panels as they're in the the, the sort of closed position um, for the door. So that gives you an unusual view and you can put your camera up very close to that. If you want to shoot a plant, you can stick the phone in very close, perhaps in a different way that you could with a, uh, a camera that's got a lens on it. Now, don't forget with most smartphones, Although you'll have the obvious camera button on the, um, on the touch screen, usually you can also take a photograph by using one of the volume buttons or either of the volume buttons, the up-down on the side. So if you want to get the camera in a position where it's not easy for you to just press the regular shutter button, check on your phone. But usually you can use the volume buttons to um, also um, act as a shutter button for you. And I was just looking, I've got a Samsung phone and that also has the option of a floating um a shutter button on the screen so um i've I've not played with it i've only just found it to be perfectly honest but that may be useful to you so you don't have to always be trying to get your hand on the um on that shutter button on the um uh, screen uh, because that might compromise where you've actually put the uh phone. I mean, you've got the same advantage of any digital camera, of course. You can try different shots. If you can't see the screen when you're taking the shot, you can just dive in and have a go and take a few. But I think that's um, a really significant advantage, and it opens the door to you to start producing some very creative photographs. So, for example, with the chairs, or let's say you found a bench in a street somewhere, try taking a photograph by putting... The camera underneath the bench so shoot along the bench the length of the seat but do it from underneath rather than from on top you can these are the kind of things where i that i'm talking about when i say that the most important part of the camera system is the 12 inches behind the viewfinder because this is where you can begin to experiment because the tool you're using gives you a different allows you different access perhaps to what you would normally use so this is where you can experiment so so have a look at someone like colin so look up colin i do a search for colin uh, winter seton so it's um colin c o l i n winter w y n t e r and seton is s e t o n so i hope he i'm sure he doesn't mind me asking you to uh, look for him he's also got a site called very well adjusted so you can also check that one and he has lots, I think, I think there's well over a thousand photographs now, possibly more than that. But he's um, a very creative photographer. And if you're just looking for ideas and things you can do with a smartphone, you could certainly do a lot worse than checking out his um, Instagram um, uh, gallery. So I'll put a link in the description as well. So you might have already seen uh, that link, but do please um, have a look there. So that's one thing. Now, another thing to think about is that most smartphone cameras that I'm aware of, and that's not all of them (laughs) by any means, but they have a thing called HDR. Now, I think the default is normally that it's on, which is a good thing. So HDR stands for higher dynamic range. What does that mean? Well, it, it simply means that if you you can get photographs where one area is overexposed to the point where it's burnt out. So it might be the sky, it might be a light or something like that, particularly if you're looking at sky and you've got a darker subject in the foreground. the Cameras um, in smartphones, like a lot of automatic cameras, they'll go for a kind of average exposure. And normally, or my experience of those exposures is that they never give me quite what I want. So when I'm using my DSLR, I'm always setting the exposure against something uh, that I know will give me a good starting point for the the overall exposure of the shot and I might then correct that in um, something like Photoshop but in in post-processing that's something else to come back to Uh, so you have this problem of either part of the image is burnt out it's too bright or you might have shadows that are too dark and you lose what's what's in the shadow So HDR is basically a software function. And what the camera does when you have HDR on is it actually stitches together two or more images. So when you point at a scene and press the shutter, it actually will take two or three, possibly four photographs when you hit the shutter button once. And then the software will just put them all together and look for the best exposure of those images. uh, light areas and those dark areas so that the overall image has a, a much better exposure than you will get if you just um, didn't have that function if you just took a single shot so I hope that's made a bit of sense but my recommendation to you unless you're doing something particularly creative and you want to take advantage of overexposure or underexposure is to make sure HDR is on as I say normally that's the the default setting anyway and um, use that, and you can experiment. Just turn it off and take a picture, and then turn it on and take the same picture, and you, you'll notice. You should notice a difference, particularly if you're if you have the sky in there. Normally, if there's some blue, if you have a a sky that's got some cloud and um, blue sky, you should see a difference in the way that the uh, the picture's exposed. So that's one thing that I do like with um, smartphone cameras. Coming back to The format you're shooting in most cameras that I'm aware of give you a JPEG um, image, and that's done to save space on the phone in this case. Now, certainly early on, um, first of all, the cameras weren't that great, so the images tended to be quite small anyway, but also they didn't have that much memory in them. As with computers and it seems everything else, as time's gone on, um, the storage space available has increased. So what would have been a problem... few years ago is, is something you wouldn't even think about because there's so much storage space on the phones. Nonetheless you have to remember that JPEG is a compressed format which means that you lose a lot of the original detail from the photograph. Now JPEG is great if you want to use the photographs for social media or you don't want a particularly high resolution if you're doing um. You can get away with them on photo books, but don't. I, I wouldn't have the pictures too big because it becomes noticeable that they're compressed rather than from a, a raw a raw image. But to be perfectly honest with you, for what most people use their photographs for, the JPEG is fine. But if you're looking to do something a little bit different, a little more creative, or you want to do some more extensive, a bit more serious post-processing, then you might find that a limitation. You might have to look at ways around that. Um, so I don't know if there are cameras that offer other standard formats on the phone i've not researched it i'm not an expert on smartphones i'll be honest so uh, that might be something to look at or you might want to comment on the uh, podcast you're welcome to do that and uh, put me straight on that one so hdr is good the size is good the access it gives you is very good uh you'll Another thing that I found, now is probably less true today than it was a few years ago, but I remember going down to watch uh, Vivid, which is um, happens in May, usually, in Sydney, and it's where they project these light displays onto the Opera House, and, and it's kind of grown, so it's also in different areas of Sydney these days. But I remember going down on the ferry to Circular Quay to get photographs of these light displays on the Opera House, and... What I found was that my camera, my digital camera was really pushed with the amount of light available, whereas the smartphone was able to handle the the low light situation much better. Now, as I say, that's probably, uh, in fact, I know it has changed with most cameras, but that might be an area where your smartphone is a little bit better. And the reason is that the smartphone camera technology is based on movie camera technology rather than still camera technology. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. (laughs) Because um, I don't want to get too technical and um, it's not something I know that much about. I'm, I'm more into what I do when I'm using the camera, but not the uh, the details of the technologies. But that is an area the low light performance might be better on your smartphone than you find on um, your, your DSLR, for example. Okay, so... I'm going to talk about lenses because this podcast is predominantly about wildlife photography, although I have kind of broadened um, what I've been speaking about in that. So it's got some more general photography in there. What happens if you want to use use the smartphone for things like wildlife photography? Now, obviously, it's not ideal. And certainly anything that's happening fast, you're going to be really pushed. You can shoot video, and I'll talk about the video side in a moment. And... um, also I'll come back to post-processing but if you're if you're shooting an animal that's just sitting so I'm here I'm thinking of a lion I was actually in South Africa and um, one of the rangers was doing this if you have binoculars handy what you can do is put the camera um, the the lens part of the camera against the the binoculars where it obviously would look through and then you can look through look at the screen on the smartphone and see what you're seeing so you've basically stuck a telephoto lens onto the smartphone now it's not elegant (laughs) you can't do it when you're moving about it's kind of tricky to do but it is one way around it if you if you happen to be in that situation and it's not something you do regularly however there is another option and that is that you can buy external clip-on lenses which will work with as far as I'm aware most phones and um, they then give you a much more elegant solution and it's also because they're physically clipped onto the phone and um probably uh, properly fitted onto the uh the camera lens on the, on the smartphone you've got a much better setup so it's it's much easier to use and that can give you wide angle it can give you telephoto so ha- it's worth having a look you might have to google that i don't have the links immediately to hand but if you um if you want to ask me for more information on that just just drop me an email graham at ge.photography and i will um, help you out as i can Uh, but that's something to just investigate see what's available for your own um, smartphone and there may well be external lenses that you can clip on now um, again work working with colin he usually has sets of lenses he'll go and investigate what's available for the smartphones he uses and he uses a few and um, his camera Kit will normally fit in a bum bag, whereas mine has to go in a backpack. So, you can get things not just lenses, but things like small tripods, obviously, those sort of things, and they can all be very useful if you're um, trying to do more interesting photography, let's say, with your smartphone. Now, I'm going to mention post processing because I did allude to it before, and I want to just follow up on that. So you can obviously use the images you've taken on things like Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever it is you're using. And also, a lot of cameras these days have software to allow which allow you to edit the image on the phone. So you can crop it, you can change the color, you can go black and white, all of those kind of things. I, I generally recommend that when you've done your editing, you save it as a copy and as with any digital photo, I always download them onto a hard drive somewhere, or you put them on the cloud, or wherever you want to store your photographs. But I prefer to keep the original, because it, in, in the moment that you've taken it, or if you're doing the post-processing immediately after taking it, you might have an idea in mind, and that might be great. But if you go back to them a bit later, you might get a different idea. And this is something I've do feel quite strongly about because I think it's very true and I know photographers who will take their photographs and then won't look at them for three months and the reason is simply that when you look at a photograph immediately after you've taken it you are looking at it through the lens of what you had in mind when you took the shot you may have got it you may not have done and that often determines whether with most photographers whether or not they keep it if they haven't got exactly the shot they have in mu- they had in mind when they press the shutter, they might just delete it straight away. Whereas if you go back a few months later, and I've certainly experienced this a lot of times, you're then looking at the image for what it is, with no preconceptions, no expectations, none of that stuff. And with that lens, or perhaps lack of lenses... Uh, you're looking at the image and you can see what's there and you might get a different idea. You might just suddenly have a moment of inspiration or you just had seen something the week before and you realise you can do that with that photograph. So I'm a big believer in not deleting things, certainly not straight away. I mean, maybe what you want to review your photographs a few months later and then maybe it's it's sort of valid to uh, delete a few of them or you might have a set that are very similar and you might might want to only keep one of them. But if you're not sure, I would keep them. I mean, generally storage these days is very easy to get. So we're not generally limited by where we store our photographs. And here I'm talking hard drives or the cloud or wherever. Um, but it, I, I certainly believe it's worth hanging on to them. So that's that's the word on post-processing. So, again, you can look at the phone, um, what's on there. There, there, are no, there are apps for all sorts of things these days. I'm not even across now what's available, but you can get additional um post-processing on the phone for things like Photoshop and Lightroom if you've got a subscription um, through something like Adobe's Creative Cloud uh, they do apps that sit on the phone and so you have a version of Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever you're using on the phone so you can use um, those packages um, without having to go to a PC so there, there are some options there okay the final thing I wanted to talk about are the the other modes that you get so on the still side where i tend to use my phone when i'm doing wildlife is often just to get a panorama so i like the panorama modes on um i'm more used to using iphones as i say i've now got the samsung um i bought that um, about a year ago uh, and the panorama on that is good as well so i love doing panoramic shots so again, I, I recommend practising with it just to make sure you know how the camera works. And this is true of any camera before you go away, if you're going away somewhere. Um, but do play with the panorama um, function and you might find you get some interesting results there. Uh, certainly if you <laughs> if you do it when you've got moving vehicles and things like that going through, you'll definitely get some odd results. But uh, that that is something I do use. And obviously, you've got video capability on the phone. Now, a lot of cameras, digital cameras, have video capability as well. Again, because you've got the phone, most people carry a phone most of the time. In fact, it's difficult to find people sometimes without a phone on them. So it means you've got that video capability just with you. Now, you'll probably find there are settings on the phone that allow you to store or record video in different ways. I'm not going to go into that because, uh, you know, I don't know what phone you're using and I'm, I'm not I, I can I'm only going to talk generally in this podcast. But the kind of thing that you can do are things like slow mo. So that that was one thing I would do if I was somewhere and we were camping overnight um, and, you know, with no electricity, no Wi-Fi. And you can talk to each other and have a beer. And we would do that if we were camping. I mean. Say in Namibia or Zimbabwe or somewhere like that. But a fun thing to do is just take slow mo of the campfire, and uh, with the phone, uh, obviously not getting too close because you don't want to melt it and damage it. But um, that that was kind of a fun thing to do. So s- slow mo can be a fun one to play with, and it might suit a style of photography that you have or that you just want just want to play around with. The other one is time lapse. Now, um, again, the the phone itself may well have a time lapse uh, time lapse um ability if not there are apps you can get um to um I, I'm pausing because I'm just trying to remember what I've used before but it's not coming to me so again you can google what's available um or or you can always contact me and I'll let you know what I've used in the past but time lapse is is great fun you know you can whether it's landscapes um street photography roads cars you know anything it's just a very interesting perspective and it might be something you want to play with and it might expand the range of your photography, which after all is what we ideally want to be doing with all these different options we have with the technologies available to today. And you know, I'm not just talking about smartphones, but with, with any digital camera. So that does pretty much cover... What well, I've got written down anyway, um, you might have some questions. And again, with all of these podcasts, you're very welcome to just contact me with questions. I'll put in the description what I think of at the time, uh, but I, I always miss things. That's that's just the nature of it. So um, there you go. So going back to the original question, can you take great photographs with your smartphone? Well, I would say yes certain caveats on that and it also depends what you mean (laughs) by great photographs but basically um yeah the the smartphone the cameras on smartphones are definitely serious cameras i mean the compact camera market has pretty much gone now i I think there might still be one or two about but more the sort of throwaway type cameras but the serious smartphone uh, um, compact camera market has been replaced by smartphones because most of us have one and why would you buy Something else that does what you've already got because the cameras these days on phones are very good. Um, I I certainly would say they're very good cameras, and in some situations, and I've mentioned street photography, they're perhaps superior in most respects to um, what you would get with um, a DSLR or a mirrorless camera, or at least they're an equivalent, unless you're doing some very niche stuff and you need. The ability to capture um, raw images and do post-processing and all the the formats that the uh, smartphone camera saves uh, do limit what you can do or they, they might not allow you to do what you want to do. So that is it. I hope you found that interesting and um, I'm going to stop talking. So I'll speak to you at, on the next podcast. Bye for now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, You'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is information available through my website and um, also on the uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.